Welcome to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. I'm Carly Becker. I'm a dairy educator based in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Joining us today is Alvin Peachy. Thank you for your time, Alvin. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your operation? Sure. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Alvin Peachy, a certified organic grass-fed dairy farmer in uh, south-central Pennsylvania. We have 150 acres, uh, grazing acres, and approximately 170 animals, which is around 90, give or take a few adult cows, and between 70 and 80 replacements. And we are, like I said, 100% grass-fed and certified organic. We ship milk to Organic Valley and we have been feeding grain up until three years ago, quit the grain and have been 100% grass-fed ever since. And we got on the old grass milk swamp in the January of this year. Great. So when and why did you decide you wanted to start grazing and be all grass-fed? So in the organic standard, it is a requirement. It's an NOP requirement that we actually have to have 30% dry matter intake from grazing at the minimum of 150 days per year. So when we got on the grass milk truck, that requirement is even higher yet than the 30%. I believe we are somewhere in the 50 to 60% range for 180 days. So we started grazing back when I was actually at my parents' dairy farm uh, in uh, in 2004 to 2007. Uh, we started grazing. We started setting up paddock and doing rotational grazing and I took a really fascinating interest in grazing. I always thought cattle look great on grass and so that is really when it when it started when I was 15 years old and when I started farming on my own in 2010 we started grazing right right away and uh, we have gradually learned more and more things about grazing ever since that and yeah it's been a really interesting journey. That's great you started young then with your interest in grazing so can you tell us a little bit about your grazing program and give us details of how you decide when to move them from pasture to pasture and just how you manage your grazing operation in general. So there's there's a lot of different ways that you can actually manage a grazing operation. I think that would be one correct way to do it. Due to some technical difficulties, Alvin got cut off when he was talking, so he goes on to explain how they manage their grazing operation. Which is a 15-day rotation, and we would let the cows in when the grass was six inches tall, take it down to two inches, we were irrigating, and yeah, trying the New Zealand style. It was it was okay with feeding corn silage and grain, that, that worked very well. But as we have made some changes over the years, see that we can actually get more production. So the way we are doing that is working quite well is is that uh, we do 12-hour shifts, which would mean we, the cows get a fresh break every 12 hours after every milking. And we usually start grazing, give or take, on the spring. We would usually start grazing around April 10. Uh, some years it is early as April 5, some years as late as April 20. So that is usually when we start in the spring and we can usually graze until December sometime. So it's usually within two weeks' time, we're on 100% grass diet, no additional supplemental feed in the barn, and we give them roughly an acre per feeding. Then we rotate every 12 hours, and then we like to shoot for about a 35 to 40 day rotation or recovery period if you want to say that. 35 to 40 days of recovery time. We have crossbred herd. Uh, we have some Holsteins and some Jersey and some in between, halfway in between. And we also have a lot of Swedish red in the herd. I don't believe there's only one specific breed that would outperform 
other breeds, but I find there's good cows in every breed. We have water systems in each paddock, or I should say they have access to water in each paddock. We have underground water lines with risers, and we have quick connectors. We can connect to those risers and have water where in every paddock where the cows are. And a few more thoughts would be what types of forages that we prefer or the cows prefer. Uh, we like to be diversified, not have just perennial grasses, but we have pure alfalfa that we graze. We have fescue paddocks, and then we also have, I would say roughly two-thirds of the farm is in perennial pastures with ryegrasses, clovers, orchard grass, festolium, and just a mixture of, of different grasses. Our fencing would be a solid perimeter fence around the property and just temporary fencing through the center of the farms so we can manage the, the paddock size uh, like we want. And good laneways is important for you know, weather conditions. If it's wet, good laneway is really important. And we don't use a lot of tools such as falling play meters, etc. We just try and shoot for that optimal maturity is when we determine when to turn the cows into each paddock. Okay, so do you just visually observe the paddock and you decide, you make the decision whether or not they should be rotated to the next paddock? That's correct. So, for example, in our alfalfa, we like percent bloom, which is approximately 35 days. And in our grasses, give or take what part of the year when we see some seed heads coming in the springtime or clover blooming, I would say that's the way we determine how, how or when we're going into next. Okay, great. So my next question is, what have you found to be the biggest advantages to grazing versus conventionally raised cattle in like a freestall or a tie stall barn? Uh, the biggest advantage is definitely there's a lot less labor involved. I, I don't have a, just an exact number on the confinement herd of how many cows per employee, but you know, it depends who you ask, I guess, but roughly 40 cows per employee, 40 to 60. And the way that we operate on our farm, it's probably approximately 150 cows per full-time employee. So definitely a lot less labor per animal. That is probably the biggest advantage. And part of that plays, part of that labor intensity plays into hauling all the feed to the cows and then hauling, spreading all the manure. So here the cows are harvesting a large portion of their, of their diet and also spreading a lot of their manure throughout the grazing season. So that I would say is probably the biggest advantage we have in. One other huge fairly huge factor would be resilience to some of these weather extremes that we have been facing, such as flooding or drought. And in well-managed pastures, you know, our oldest paddocks would be 22 years old, and they actually are better than they were eight or 10 years ago. A lot more production coming from them. And we didn't plant one single seed. So even if there is a, a drought like in 2020, once we get rain, the seeds are there. And we didn't have to spend for the seeds that, that year. So that is a huge advantage as well, uh, a lot less risk for for the, the seed cost of planting corn or soybeans or whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. So that is a fairly big advantage. And then another one is erosion. We can get five inches of rain and there's no erosion, no topsoil loss coming off of our farm. Yeah, that's great. And now on the other side of things, what have you found to be the biggest challenges with grazing? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, there's, yeah, there are a few, and I would say we are in the time of the year where we do face the biggest challenges, and that is with heat. The cows, cows can do some crazy things when it gets hot, and have the cows grazing properly, keeping them moving, and, and try to manage the, the heat stress in, in grazing 
I would say summer, midsummer is probably the biggest challenge. And another challenge too is 2018, I believe it was, we had um, major rainfall and that was a huge challenge as well. Whereas it was a challenge to get crops out that spring as well. So probably weather, just managing weather uh, events and, and in the middle of the summer, the heat. Yeah. So what is it that you're trying to do to protect the cows from that heat stress that they experience midsummer? It's important to get them out early in the morning, put them out to, to one of the best paddocks and get them filled up and then bring them back to the barn. Mm-hmm. There's some producers that are using like mobile shade, you know, uh, works fairly well if you're not as busy as I am to, to be there and keep moving them so the cows do not destroy the grass under the under the shade bubbles but we are bringing them back into the barn. Good. So if you could pinpoint one grazing practice that has made the biggest difference on your farm, what do you think that would be? Uh, specifically appointed to grazing, it would be taller grazing. Like I mentioned earlier here in this uh, podcast is we used to be New Zealand style 15-day rotation or 15-day recovery and now we are 35 to 40-day give or take what part of the year we are at but with taller grazing we see just a huge improvement in pasture productivity. We see huge improvements in soil biology and overall it just improved a lot of things in our grazing so definitely taller grazing and the first two rotations that we would do in the spring our second rotations is usually done by the longest day, June 20, June 25. And the first two rotations like to trample up to about 50% of our biomass. And that seems to be recent of our nutrients. Helps to shade any exposed soil. So we get a lot less water evaporation and hold the moisture really, really well. So I would say those two things have really improved our, our overall pasture production the last three years that we have been doing that. Yeah. And so can you share a little bit of your perspective on how grazing has affected your bottom line? I know you're a numbers guy. You like to keep track of your financials, so you should have a good answer to this. Do we have an hour left on this episode? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) No, I will try and keep it shorter than that. For the answer to this question, Alvin says the term sea weight a few times. And by sea weight, he means hundred weight. Yeah, and there could be a few different perspectives on, on you know, the bottom line. But, yeah, I, I do like numbers, and we l- like to track our, our input and our output and see what our – track our feed cost, our, our income over feed cost, and, and all that. And then, of course, you need to look at total production as well, or total seed weight, because that's our income source. So I would say going from feeding grain and corn salads and then switching to old grass or old grazing, we definitely – we definitely lost milk production. I will will not deny that. So we have lost milk production and that has kind of diluted our our feed costs, I should say. So we have less sea weight per cow. So we added cows to maintain the our the sea weights we had before switching to old grass. So our total volume stayed the same. But now we have more animals to feed. So our, our cost per sea weight did go up slightly. But so our, our feed cost per sea weight has gone up slightly because we purchase all our feed. We do not do any mechanical harvesting on our farm. Everything that we feed to our cows, every all our winter feed is 100% purchased. So our feed cost did go up slightly. But we have no cost in seeds. We have no expenses in equipment, minimal expense in equipment, maintenance, and that has dramatically uh, decreased over the last four or five years. So with the price of equipment and uh, labor to run equipment 
in our case, it's, it's horses. It's just it is crazy what the, what you run into as far as cost, which would be operating would evolve into the operating cost. So that has dramatically lowered. So our feed cost has has not changed a whole lot. Actually, has gone up slightly, but our our other operating cost have gone down to almost zero, and that has left us with a lot larger profit margin. So, and I do understand that not every producer has the option of getting a grass milk premium uh, like we do with Organic Valley. Very fortunate to have a really good um, market, but it, but our our income over feed costs, we average roughly 13 to 14 dollars per sea weight on an average of the of the whole year. So I would say that has been huge to us, whereas in prior years, we were almost at the break even where I think a lot of farmers are today. Yeah, that's really helpful. I think that other farmers will find that very informative. So if another producer was exploring the option of rotational grazing, what would be one piece of advice that you would like to share with them? To start learn about managed intensive grazing. <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, I, like, I like to use the words uh, manage intensive grazing. So definitely, there's there's a lot of information about about that. And you know, Gabe Brown out in uh, North Dakota has a lot of experience. I learned a lot of things through him uh, from him. But if you if you're starting with dairy cows, and this even holds true for beef cows, but start with one acre per cow. If you want to do manage intensive grazing, you have to start with one acre per cow to maximize your pasture productivity. If you don't, and then you'll be grazing too short, your recovery time, you won't have the recovery time, and you just cannot get the tramping effect if you're under one acre per cow. As your pastures improve, you can increase your stocking rate, but start out with one acre per cow. Heifers, you don't need quite that much, maybe more like a half acre per animal with heifers. Good laneways, really important for that. Uh, set up your farm that the cows do not have to cross the previous grazed paddock to get in the next paddock and have a good water source for the cows. So I think those three would probably be some of the three that I would highlight as an important piece in starting a grazing operation. Definitely. And having good heat abatement for the summer, shade trees or portable shade structures or something in order to kind of help reduce that decrease in milk production that you see during those hot summer months and to improve cow comfort, of course. That's so, correct, especially if you don't have the infrastructure or the barns to, to bring the cows in by 10 o'clock in the morning. Yes, 100%. So my last question is, have you, during your transition from conventionally raising cows to grass-fed, have you utilized educational information from any mentors or industry or extension help to improve your grazing operation? Well, I'm going to say a lot of things I learned the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> Try to do, try to do things just from experience and having a couple failures, but uh, yeah, I, I did utilize some information from from some other mentors, and um, there's a few like Dr. Sylvia Abel Kane. She is a ruminant nutritionist for Yank Valley, has a lot of experience in the dairy world and in in grazing and animal nutrition. Learned a lot of things from her about the importance of high quality forages, high quality grasses, and uh, had a really good personal relationship with Gabe Brown from North Dakota. He is doing it with beef, regenerating his soils, cropland with uh, animal impact from his beef. And I learned a lot of things from him. The taller grazing idea would, would be coming from him. Mm-hmm. So talk with him. 
And uh, then there's a few that have taught me about the importance of soil health, soil biology, and um, the importance of having really good mineral uptake. Good. Well, it seems like you're doing really great on this grass-fed market. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. And thanks to all of our listeners to Bovine Banter. And don't forget to tune in next Tuesday where dairy educator Amber Yetzi will talk with dairy producer John Vanderstapen about their grazing operation.